30 on the nose. All right. Um, welcome back. I uh, was thrilled that Joel could be with you all last week. Um, if you missed Joel last week, I highly encourage you to go back and check it out. Um, as I was listening, I was in the Denver airport, and I found myself like wanting to be like, yes, <laughs> woo! <laughs> I restrained myself, but I was definitely uh, excited about how he was, what he was saying and how he was saying it. And again, you know, as we look at um, kind of what he does, and you see this comparison between what an academic like Derek is doing and then uh, what I <laughs> try to do, and then Joel being like the epitome of the blending together of the academic and pastoral world um, is quite, quite exciting to see. So I know some people are like, I wish Joel could come back every week. Sure. I'd be happy with that because I could learn a lot from him. So, yeah, he just, um, it was great. So, if you, what is his background? Um, well, he grew up in Texas. Don't hold that against him. Uh, he got his Ph.D. Uh, in Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That was his specialty. Um, over... Either Oxford or Cambridge, he has a really funny hat that he wears at ceremonies. Um, I think it was Cambridge. And then he taught at Bethel for a while. Uh, he was my, one of my professors. And then he was uh, teaching at Bethel, teaching systematic theology, and then he was doing, being the teaching pastor at Calvary of Roseville. I mean, Calvary White Bear. And so that's where Nikki and I went to church. And then um, he got hired to be the pastor at Central, which is down on uh, Snelling and University, you know, by the big green building, by Allianz Field down there. And he pastored there for I don't know how many years and then got the opportunity to go and take his current position at the Center for Pastor Theologians. Uh, so he's the I believe he's the executive director is his official title. So, so he works with a lot of CPT groups around the country, and then he does some speaking engagements for them um, and helps move forward the, the Center for Pastor Theologians. Um, so, yeah, that's what he does. That's what he does. But Let's uh, open up the word of prayer, and then we'll continue into Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and we are grateful to be uh, together in this place, not only because of its warmth and its comfort, but uh, because you are here and we are here together, and that makes this place extra special. And so we just pray that you would uh, be with us as we continue to walk through this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, and uh, that you have allowed us to receive as your word, and so we treat it with great care and with great hope, knowing that your spirit is moving in and through it and in and through us and in and through your uh, global church. And so we just pray that you would be with us tonight and help us to further understand 
the mystery that is you and the mystery that is living uh, as a follower of your son, Jesus Christ, in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, when he was going through the eight uh, points at the end, I was just like, that was pretty cool. So, so yeah, we continue into uh, Ephesians 4, and uh, one thing that we want to continue to keep at the forefront of our minds is Paul. what Paul is saying in the rest of this section uh, is in light of the unity that we've been talking about for two weeks. So we cannot divorce what we're going to talk about today from what we've been talking about for the past two weeks and in the totality of uh, the book of, or the letter to the Ephesian church. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with uh, their neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, we got a few things to unpack here. First thing Paul uh, mentions is this distinction, and we've been talking about how Paul loves these contrasts and these distinctions between old self, new self, Jew and Gentile, uh, meaning a one way of living versus one way of living, all of these different distinctions, and he, he starts off after talking about the importance of growing together in Christ to say, and remember, you walk differently than you used to walk. And we can get hung up around this word Gentiles, but we have to uh, acknowledge and understand that, that the category of Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew slash Christ follower. So when he says, do not walk as the Gentiles do, he's saying, do not walk as someone of the world walks. You think about how John, in his letters, talks about the difference between the world and those who are in Christ. 
Paul is making a distinction here between those who are in Christ, following Christ, embodying Christ. Remember, we're talking about walking in Christ, not as a practice, but as a way of living. He says, do not walk as the Gentiles do. Well, let's look at some distinctions around that. In the futility of their minds. It's interesting that Paul makes it very clear that our minds, our intellect, plays a key role in how we live out our faith within the world. And for many people, they think that Christianity is a dumb religion, meaning, well, you just check your brain at the door and you just show up and you just are you know, ignorant about the realities of the world. And yet, this is the exact opposite of what Paul is talking about. When he says that the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, he means that they are walking in the ways of the world. They are living as their mind tells them to do. They're doing their things that the world tells them to do. And, and as, as I'm reading this, I just can't help think about the classic song, Walk Like an Egyptian. No, I'm not going to dance. And I was also struck by the reality. My friend and I were walking the other day uh, together, and he says, are you limping? And I said, I don't know, am I? (laughs) I say, all these people tell me that I'm limping, and yet, for some reason, I don't understand that I'm limping because I don't see my own life. It's not like I walk around with a mirror. (laughs) Like, how's my gait looking? (laughs) Yep, you're kind of limping. But isn't that the picture of how we live in community and how people can have the opportunity to see how we're living and say, um, you're you're kind of limping. You're kind of listing a little to the left back towards the way of the Gentile walk. And that is the futility of the mind and all of these other distinctions. Because Paul points out some key things about the Gentile way of walking. First of all, they are darkened in their understanding, meaning they have not received the light or the enlightenment that comes through the revelation of Jesus Christ, which we talked about a few weeks back, about special revelation and general revelation. They are alienated from the life of God, which, again, we talked about way back this separation from God, alienated from God. And why is it? Because of the ignorance that is in them. So there is this cognition that goes with following Jesus Christ to an understanding of who he is. And so we can get trapped in either this you know, mindless faith or we can become trapped in this ignorance this intelligent cognitive faith, and Paul is saying it's both and, it's not either or, but certainly there is part of the intellect that plays into how we are to walk in Christ. And why is it that they find themselves in this place? It's because they have hard hearts. And then he becomes more specific and he says, they have become callous. They have become callous, meaning literally not feeling. And you know, if you've ever had calluses, they develop through 
the repetition of living in a certain way. You know, you shake a, uh, an individual's hand who works with a hammer all the time, works construction. You're, you say, well, clearly you don't have office hands, right? You have man hands, is what you usually say. Just probably don't say that to a female. Um, just a thought. But you develop these calluses over time so that you don't feel the things that you're feeling. And Paul is saying that the Gentiles, those who are outside of Christ, have developed these calluses on their heart where the sensitivity is gone. The sensitivity is no longer there, and that is a clear problem. Again, one of my friends they, that were on this trip, I was talking to them after the trip, and, and he says, I can't feel uh, both of my outside toes on either of my feet. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so sorry I missed it. And when we can't feel certain things, that becomes a problem, especially when we're talking about our hearts. When we allow our hearts to become calloused to the sensitivity of the things of God, we have a problem. And so Paul is saying the characteristics of the way of living outside of Christ, or to say to living as a Gentile, is to have a heart that is not soft and supple, but is hard and calloused. And it doesn't take a cardiologist to tell us that having hardness in your heart is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And so Paul is making this distinction that the Gentiles or those outside of Christ have developed these calluses on their hearts. And what happens when we develop calluses in our hearts? Well, there's this propensity to give ourselves over to this list of sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And woe Woe to me if I ever develop a callus on my heart that I cannot remain sensitive to the movement of the Spirit and the things of God in my world. That is a prayer that I pray often. Because when we develop calluses, we don't feel these things and we find ourselves trending in the way of the world. And again, that, this becomes a, a significant theme because oftentimes we can uh, inhabit the practices of the people that we surround ourselves with. And I'm going through this uh, book with a friend of mine from Missouri, and, and one of the chapters is on uh, surrounding yourself with people that you want to live into. Because when we surround ourselves with people who we don't, want to live into their way of life, we tend to find ourselves regressing towards the bottom denominator versus moving forward towards the top echelon. And so Paul is saying to walk in unity, walking together, walking in this way of Christ. And he has this great distinguisher, and he says, this is not the way that you learned Christ. And notice the lack of words that he uses here 
saying that you, it doesn't say that you learned about Christ, that you learned Christ. You literally came to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And so that's where we see this clear distinction between, well, I can know a lot of things about Christ. I can know a lot of things about Jesus. But to learn Christ is to embody Christ and to live as Christ lives. And so Paul says, all of the ways of the Gentiles are not Christ. We, you know, we've gone through this, and at times you're like, okay, well, I didn't write this letter. I'm just going back and reading through it. So there is this clear distinction of this is not the way of Christ. This is not the way you understand how to live into Christ. And he says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. Because Paul is saying, you all who are receiving this letter have received Christ. And so in order to walk outside of Christ is to show that one doesn't understand who Christ is. And Paul is saying, that's not who you are. And he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So again, we have this old self versus new self. We have this old self versus new self. And we were somewhat joking about this uh, today at lunch. And, it, you know, it's like you go and you, you go to a particular store and you get brand new clothing. And it looks great on you. And you feel great because you have new clothes. And then how often is the case? You go home and you're like, yeah, these really old jeans, they feel really comfortable. Yeah, but we should probably just throw those away. <laughs> no, but I could cut them off, and they would be great jorts. No? What? What if I cut them longer, and so they were <laughs> jean capris? What is that called? <laughs> just cut out the knees. Yeah, except, yeah, I hear it's cool. So this, this wearing of Christ, wearing of the new self versus wearing of the old self. It's this taking off of and putting on the new. Because the old self is not a good look. And, and I grew up with a dad who loved to wear the oldest of old clothes. And a sweatshirt somehow became a sleeveless sweatshirt with a much bigger neck. You're like, could you just buy a new sweatshirt? Yeah, but I like this old one. And then I had a sweatshirt like that. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> it's like those commercials, you're becoming your parent. So my old sweatshirt, I just, I couldn't even get rid of it. I just moved it downstairs <laughs> so that Nikki doesn't see it, but I still have it just in case. And then I get a new sweatshirt, and I get all sorts of compliments on my new sweatshirt. My, I love those three bears on your sweatshirt. Where'd you get that? 
well, I'd, somebody gave it to me, and I'm sure they bought it at a gas station, right? <laughs> like, that's clearly a new sweatshirt. And we laugh about this, and yet, how is it in our lives where we're like, yes, I'm going to put away my old self, but I'm not going to put it too far away just in case I want to bring it back. Yeah, this new self is, is nice, but the old self is so predictable, comfortable. I'm used to it. And if I spill on it, you won't even notice because, well, I mean, it's the old self. If I rip it, it won't be that big of a deal. And if I rip my new sweatshirt, then I'll be upset. And Paul is making this distinction of the old self versus the new self. And how often is it that we desire to hold on to the old self, except when we hear what the old self represents? (laughs) Your former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's not real attractive. The old self isn't something that should draw us back. It should some, is something that should repulse us towards our new self. And the other day, uh, my mom made us some beef stroganoff, and I'm just going to admit this, and, and we got home, and there was a three-day-old frozen pizza on the, on the counter that had been there for three days. And Nikki was like, well, aren't you going to eat some of this beef stroganoff? I'm like, it's so much work. I'm just going to have this old pizza because it doesn't take any work. They're like, you nasty. I'm like, but I'm yours. So deal with it. The old self seems so convenient, and yet if if we see it for what it is, we would not be so drawn to it. And so Paul is helping us to understand what it looks like to embrace the new self. The new self is renewed in the spirit of our minds. That's what this looks like. And immediately we should think back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when Paul says, talking about being transformed by the renewal of our minds, the refreshment, the overhauling of the way that we think about things. So to, be, to put on our new self, to put on Christ, is to have our mindsets renewed out of our old mindset, our old way of thinking. To take on a new posture and a new outlook and a new mindset that is opposite of who we were before we came to Christ. To reject the ways of the world and the thinking of the world and the mindset of the world and to be renewed by the mindset of Christ. But again, so often we find ourselves being drawn back into what is predictable. And this is a human problem. We look at how the Israelites, as they were wandering through the wilderness, oh, that we could go back to Egypt. Oh, that we could go back to Egypt where we were enslaved. Oh, they just, they don't, they don't talk about that. They just want the predictable and how often this human condition comes over us. But Paul is talking about the importance 
of the complete transformation of how we view life and how we do life and how we think about life. And that means a removal of a worldly mindset into a heavenly mindset. But again, if we surround ourselves with people who think and act and function like the world, we can easily be drawn back into our old mindset because we somehow allow this drawing back. And it's fascinating when, when, we, when we see what happens when we are around our old people. And I talk to people on, on a regular basis that, that come to faith in Christ. It's like, well, all my old friends still do these things, and so it's hard for me to move beyond these things because, well, these are my friends, and they're doing these things, and so somehow I get drawn back into those things. And that's what Paul is talking about, the importance of the unity of the body and the unity not only in mindset but in communal fellowship. Unity meaning being physically together. And so the importance of the body of Christ is to be brought into a new life with people that are thinking and functioning and acting in the ways of Christ instead of allowing ourselves to be drawn back. Put on the new self. And what does this new self look like? It's created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this new self is created after the likeness of God. And again, when we talk about being created in the image of likeness of God, we're talking about a Trinitarian existence where there is equality and true functionality between all parts of who God is. Let me say that in a different way. There is mutuality between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is not a hierarchy in which one is over the other. And in the same way, in the body that represents the likeness of God in the physical present, there is not a hierarchy. There is unity within the body. Because to be in the new self, in the likeness of God, is to be in relationship with the rest of the body in mutuality. Have I lost anyone here? <laughs> I feel like, uh, what'd you say? Oftentimes we, we use this phrase to be created in the image of likeness in God, of God and, and we don't fully embrace or understand the truthfulness of all that goes into that. And again, uh, you know, we talk about the simplicity of black and white and how we like things that are black and white, and yet God is this multidimensional, multifaceted being. So rather than being black and white, it's this technicolor picture of who God is. And part of that is the righteousness and holiness that is embraced by God. 
and is embodied by God. And holiness, not meaning perfect, but meaning separate. We've talked about this before, right? When we are drawn into our new self, it's not that we're perfect in holiness in the world. It's that we are set apart from and distinct. We are different than the world. And then we get this great therefore. As a result of all of these things that Paul has been saying, because of all of the unity that he's been talking about, the building up of the body of Christ, the functioning of the body of Christ, putting on our new self. So it's all of these things. As a result of all of these things, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Now, he's taking a second swipe at this. Because remember, in the, previously he said that we would speak the truth in love. And now he's coming back at it and he's saying, we are moving beyond falsehood or moving beyond lies because that's how the world functions, embodying and embracing things that are not the truth. That we are to speak the truth to one another because we are all one another. We are all together. And so we are to speak the truth to one another to help foster unity within the body. Now, this can go all sorts of wrong. (laughs) And I don't think we have to paint too many clear pictures on this because we know what this looks like. And, And we can so often come to the place where we find a verse like this and we love to just peel it out of its context, and then we uh, create a weapon to beat up our neighbor with. That's not the point. The point of this is that we are to help draw one another closer and closer to embracing what it means to live as Christ, so that when we see our neighbor, our brother or sister, doing something that isn't going to be beneficial to the body, we have an opportunity to say, excuse me, neighbor. Wasn't that a good show? Yeah. It's because Tim Allen's a Christian and only Christians make good TV. (laughs) Excuse me, neighbor. Um, I noticed that you're doing something that's going to get you in trouble. That's one way to do it. Or, you know, we can slide a, slap a note on our neighbor's door. Excuse me, your dog is coming over to my house and urinating on the side of my house and it stinks. So could you take care of your dog? I mean, hypothetically speaking, right? This idea of speaking truth to one another is so that the body functions as the body is to function. And so when we see our neighbor doing something that is going to be harmful or damaging to them, we speak the truth in love, not in this higher than thou, greater than thou, but in this desire to care for one another. Like when my friend says, are you limping? He says, you're walking in a way that causes me concern. 
It seems to be that you have been affected by something and you're not walking as you should normally walk. And Paul is saying that same thing in this speaking the truth to our neighbor because we are members of one another. So often, though, we, we pretend that we don't see what our neighbor is doing so that we don't have to speak the truth to our neighbor. We just look the other way because then we would have to confront. And we're Minnesota nice. I just explained that to my Hawaiian friends. What does that even mean? Like, well, we're the great, greatest state in the lower 48 and we're all nice and that's what that means. But we have the opportunity to speak the truth to one another. And if somebody, our neighbor, is telling us something that is not true, we can help correct their error. It's like when Wyatt says, yeah, I heard this, I heard this on TikTok. I'm like, okay, it's not true. No, but it was on TikTok. Yeah, that bastion of truth. It's like the AP and then TikTok. Most reliable sources. Yes. So this is specifically talking is neighbor within the family of God or neighbor in the larger, broader. Con- this is neighbor, family of God, meaning we are all united in Christ. So specifically in this context, it doesn't, we're not addressing who is my neighbor, not addressing that. We're talking about those who are united in Christ. And so we can help correct one another's errors. We can speak truth into one another's lives. So if we see our brother or sister in Christ who is in error, we can help speak truth to them so that they don't continue to live in error, but we do it acknowledging that we are a part of one another. And Paul flushes this out in more concrete terms. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Well, that's interesting because for so often we can believe that this lie that that the emotions that we experience are a problem. When in reality, the emotions that we are experiencing, if we believe that we are created in the image and likeness of God and we have emotions, then it follows that God seems to have these categories of emotions. And so if God created us to have these emotions, then why would an emotion that we experience be a bad thing? But oftentimes, we suppress or reject or shut down feelings that we feel because we are believing that this can't be a good thing, i.e., something like anger. Notice Paul doesn't say, do not get angry. He doesn't say that. In fact, he says, be angry. (laughs) Paul is implying that we will be angry. And that the anger isn't the problem. It's what we do with that anger. He says, be angry and do not sin. 
because the anger, when it's left to do its thing, can create sin in us. Anger isn't the problem, it's how we deal with that anger. So we acknowledge this emotion that we're experiencing, and we do not allow it to have sway over us. We do not allow it to foment and ferment in us, creating this toxic environment where sin will erupt. I know, for some of us, this is a very challenging concept. Paul wants to make clear that the anger isn't the problem, it's what we do with the anger. And this, this imperative or this exhortation, this challenge to not let the sun go down on your anger is because it gives the opportunity to the devil to work inside of us to create an environment where this anger will come out in a negative way. And then he says, let the chief, the thief, no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he or she may have something to share with anyone in need. Fascinating. So in this communal existence, the problem with the thief stealing is that the thief steals only for the thief. And in the community, it's about giving and meeting the needs of other people. And so the thief is to work so that they have enough to share with those who are in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So third thing, no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Again, this becomes such a challenging thing because oftentimes when we get engaged in conversation, especially if we are ranting, it becomes fun to either stir the pot or throw more gasoline on the rant. Because, I mean... What's better than a fire that's this big than a fire that's this big? And so if I'm ranting and you're like, oh, yeah, and this, you're like five gallons of diesel. Because no one would ever put gasoline on a fire, ever, bad idea, Oftentimes, in the community, we can allow ourselves to talk freely about other people. No, I'm not gossiping. I'm just explaining to you how this person has behaved in truth, in love. Well, yeah, one time, you want want me to tell you what they did to me? Oh, well, you think that was bad. I remember when they said this, and then we pile on. 
And we pile on and we pile on and we pile on. And Paul says that is not what it looks like to live into this newness of Christ. To put on our new self. This is our old self. Our words should be those that build up. That give grace. And again, this is instruction to the body about how the body functions within the body. And oftentimes, we can find ourselves being drawn into our old self because it's comfortable and it's what we're used to and it feels so right when in reality it's so wrong. And again, the importance of being surrounding ourselves within those who are drawing closer to Christ so that when we have a tendency or we move towards this corrupting talk, our neighbor says, excuse me, neighbor, this is a good idea to be saying these things. To be saying these things about our fellow brother and sister in Christ. Is this building up the body or is this tearing down the body? Because again, this is all about how the body functions in a unified way. And it gets worse. (laughs) Because what happens when this behavior is allowed to be perpetuated, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed with, for the day of redemption. The grieving of the Holy Spirit is the participating in something that creates disunity within the body. So when we choose to participate in things that disunify or fracture the body, it grieves the Holy Spirit, much like a parent when they see their children fighting with one another. There is sadness over the relationship that exists between siblings because they're family. And again, Paul continues and he says, If you've missed all of this, let me be very specific. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Mm. And how often is it the case that we love to go to Paul's outward sin lists, because Paul has many of them, and we love to bring certain sins to the top and say, well, at least I'm not doing this. At least I'm not participating in this outward sin where if I was, everyone would know that I was doing it. And when we get a list like this, we're just like, okay, can we just keep moving? Oh, look at the time. We got to go. I mean, opening day was postponed. What do we have to do tomorrow? You're like, baseball? canceled. Look at this list. And again, he doesn't say 
most, he doesn't say some, he says let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice. These are all things that create division and disunity within the body and we are to reject them and to move them away from us as fast as possible. And again, this is just so hard. <laughs> this is just so hard. Because bitterness can, can feel so right. We can feel so justified in our bitterness. Towards each other. We can feel great if we participate in wrath and we, we live into this posture of anger and clamoring and slandering. Just, it feels so good at the time. But Paul says, no, this, this is what breaks the body into pieces and grieves the Holy Spirit. And it is so hard when somebody does something to us, we just say, they have what's coming to them. Let me explain all of the ways in which I am righteous in my feelings about this person. And then we go on a mission to bring other people into our bitterness because bitterness alone gets kind of boring. So you want to bring other people in. And before we know it, we have a problem in the body. And unity is no more. And then Paul gives us this sandwich that he started back in verse 2 of chapter 4. And it's the sandwich of posturing as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because when we embrace these postures, everything else just happens. It just falls into place, or it should. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Last time I checked, the old self isn't interested in this trinity of living. The world is not interested in this trinity of behavior. And notice it's not overly specific because it's not, we, we're not looking at sin management and good deed box checking. We're looking at embracing what it means to be a follower of Christ. And the opposite of the world is kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. It is the exact opposite of this list that he just gave us about things that foster disunity. And so as we live into this body, this unity of Christ... We so often think in these individualistic terms, except being 
kind to yourself, yes, that's part of it, but it's about being kind to others. It's about being tenderhearted to others. It's about forgiving one another. And I know we, we have all sorts of yeah buts. <laughs> we have all sorts of if only you knew. But again, Paul gives us this image of, of what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to live into our new self and community. It's a posture and a way of living that creates unity. And it's not about, well, I did 10 bad things today and I did 20 good things, so my good-bad scale is working in my favor. It's about a lifestyle that embodies this new self. You can go to your groups.